Hi, I'm Dan Higgerson, and welcome to the 17th episode of the Idle Hand Society podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about effective creative process. I'm joined today by the boss, Roman Kardashian. How you doing, Dan? Yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. No Paul today. Um, Paul's on his holidays. He's he's uh, where is he? He's in Bath or something, right? Bath, Wales. I don't know. He's but I asked myself, is when is he not on holiday? <laughs> Life is a holiday for, for Mr. Paul Beds. <laughs> All right for some, isn't it? Yeah, um, why not? He's got kids, you know. You, you need you need some time off, especially the weather's been nice for the last couple of days. It's going to be like that for another few, maybe a week or, or two, hopefully. You know, like British summer, might as well make the most of it. Well, yeah, exactly. We only get like four days a year, don't we? <laughs> How about you, Romani? Are you taking some time off? Uh, probably, but my, my family's back in France. Um, they haven't met my daughter since she was five months old and she's now just past two years old. So we, we're hoping to go if it's feasible, um, likely in July, and then maybe again in August. That's about it, basically trying to see family. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. If if we have nice weather, we get to spend a little bit of time, a little bit of time in Paris. Um, that'd be nice. And Lovely. My, my brother lives, lives in the south of France near Cannes. So if we have a bit of nice weather there as well. You know, oh. it's it's a double-edged sword. If all goes well, it'd be brilliant. If all goes wrong, oh, well. <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Remember, though, it's home for me, right? Yeah, I know, I know. But still, I mean, knocking around in the south of France is... Yeah, wearing shorts, eating pastries, you know, walking along the, the beach, seeing family. Yeah, it's terrible. Terrible time. Terrible yeah, way to yeah, spend yeah, your yeah. holiday time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember holidays from like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll come back. It'll come back. I think international travel is the is the is the culprit there. Yeah, I, I don't think we could do too much. We have to just get on with it. And you know what? It's a good opportunity for you and I are in the UK. Might as well make the most of visiting the UK. There's lots yeah. of lovely, lovely places. Might as well do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm sort of born and raised here, and I've there's still loads of this country I've not seen. So, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. We're we're kind of spoiled for choice. I think people forget sometimes that. You know, the, the place they're in is actually quite exciting if they just view it like a tourist almost. But it, it, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? You, just because you know you can't go, you're not supposed to go abroad, then that's when you want it more than anything else. Yeah, but I think it's, I have... it's psychological. There's a, bit of a, there's a bit of work to do there. To go, okay, listen, we're all adults, aren't we? Let's be reasonable. I am definitely missing those trips a little bit. Mm. I say that in fairness, I'm, I'm likely going to go to France at some point if I can. So obviously we're still trying. I think it's, uh, there's a French expression which says, which is to take bad things with patience. It kind of right. makes things easier. And, and that's how I think of it. That's quite lovely. I like that. What's it sound like in French? I bet it sounds really nice and poetic in French. Uh, you say, prendre son mal en patience. To take its pain or its, its bad with patience. Yeah. See, everything sounds better in French. There you go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a scheme to make you think so. So the reason that Roman's joined us today is when me, Roman, and, um, and and Paul were on a shoot the other week, Roman brought up this really interesting topic idea of reality versus expectation or expectation versus reality. It sounds super interesting as, as a topic of conversation. So Roman, if you could sort of lay out the foundations of, of the chat we're going to have... Okay, well, I, it started because we were talking about how the set looked really lush and, and we were quite excited. The day was well in the day. We had done quite a bit already. We were feeling like we were 
getting really nice stuff. Everyone had a great energy. Um, and then I don't remember who exactly, but one of us mentioned the fact that it wasn't quite what we were supposed to do in the first place. And it was an interesting process that we went through. Um, I think originally we were actually talking about doing something that was maybe a bit more still life. Um, so no people, uh, for the people who don't know about the, the shoot we're talking about, it's for a, a brand of helmets. Um, and so they are actual products. And then obviously you can have people wear them, which is the preferred option most of the time. Um, but you can have them as, as themselves, as a product and as the star of the image. And that's kind of what we had in mind originally. Um, so that was our expectation. What can we do that doesn't require people or a lot of setup that we can do during lockdown? And we wanted to do that for Lindsay because we have an amazing relationship with her. She, she's one of the two people, they're a couple who run, run the company. And uh, one thing led to the next conversations with other people, involving the right people for the right aspects of the jobs, led us to something completely different, which you've seen yourself on the day. People on a, on a painted background, we literally built a set um, fake ground and, and uh, bark and plants and mm. people wearing outfits all on a theme, flowers all over the place. I mean, it's incredible when you think about it, where it started uh, and where it ended. And so that conversation started between us. And I thought it was really interesting to think about the reality or, or the, um, the concrete reality that came out as in the piece, the actual work that came out of the, of the process yeah. compared to what the original idea was. But let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you, you, I know you're a photographer. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of stuff, um, both for clients and for yourself. So you might just go out and think, oh, today I'll take a few pictures in the streets. Or you might just go out and have your camera in the, back, uh, in the backpack and then just put it out when you see something nice. And other yeah. times you actually ask to do something specific where you're being paid for it and you have to kind of um, feed the beast. You know, yeah. there's yeah, expectations yeah. and you have to, to, to do what's expected. Yeah. But what I wonder is, do you ever, ever go back to that work once, it's been, once you've done it, you've delivered it, if it's for a client, you've processed everything, you've delivered it, you're done, that's it. The, the, it was, uh, the concept was done, then you went and did the work and then you delivered do you ever revisit uh, to see whether the original idea, the original sort of expectations or, or the expectations throughout the process uh, differ a, lit a little bit or a lot from the final results? Have you? Do you? Is it, is it one of your habits? Is it, is it something you do? I don't know whether what I do falls into those parameters. So what I do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> what do, do, do. <laughs> what, what, the, the thing that I, I, I do is is I tend to revisit the work, but only really to view it. What I have noticed is that when I revisit something years later, if I go back and look at the photos I took, I don't know, like three years ago, the ones that I pick out as, as the keepers on that second pass a long time later tend to be quite different. And there'll be ones yeah. that maybe I dismissed the first time round. Um, when it comes to like paid stuff, that's a little bit you know you don't really do anything with them you just almost look at it and go oh that's weird my tastes have changed over the years and now actually this one that i brushed over all that time ago suddenly looks better to me than it did the first time round. or totally totally but I, I don't know whether that's the same as what you're describing i think there is a bit of that obviously when a lot of time has passed say you shot something five years ago and then you know you look back at it you have changed considerably as an artist over five years whether you see it or not anyone has yeah um, yeah Things happen, you know, public life, the news, the world, and then in your family, in your 
in your life on a daily basis, in your, in your mindset, maybe in the way you make money, if this is your job, a lot, a lot of things change. And I think a lot of your approaches um, slightly change. And as a whole, therefore, you're a slightly different artist. And so you will have a different view on your own work. So I, I think that falls into it. But for me, as a, as a commercial artist, if you want to call it that, you know, I, I do color grading and obviously I do that for money, not just for pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a real expectation from the client and with stills photography, it's the same. Um, but I find that actually in very specific type of photography, if I re- revisit um, what we did compared to what I know the client expected and what I expected, um, I generally find little nuggets of some sort of discoveries on something I could have done different or it's quite differently. So it's quite an interesting process to go through, but I think you're right. Maybe as a pro, it's a bit easier for me to talk about it in that, in that way. Um, You know what you were saying about looking at pictures that from, from something you've done before and then thinking, actually you pick up on different type of pictures. Maybe you like something that you didn't like then, or you pick up on something that you think really is really good now, which you you completely discard it then. Yeah. Um, that, I, I, that's kind of what I'm talking about as well. There's an expectation as to what you think you need to produce or what you want to produce. And then in the editing stage, which a lot of people dismiss as just being the little thing at the tail end of the project, uh, is actually a massive choice that you're making. You're picking what pictures is going to make it to delivery. And Paul is really good at that. Paul, Paul has had a lot of practice over the years. Um, and a lot of the, the work that Paul does for his book is actually happening in the editing the shooting is the very free sort of part of it, and the editing is what what really shapes it. Um, and even in that in that sense, revisiting what you've done in terms of the editing, uh, you tend to change your mind a little bit on what works and what doesn't. So there's a certain expectation, I think, for yourself or from the client from yourself, and then there's what you actually end up producing. And I, I just thought it was a very interesting subject as a general thing. It was a, it was it a very is. very broad because uh, it touches so many basically every single creative process that you can think of. But so if you don't, if you don't do it for money and you go back, you just look at all, all the stuff you've done and you go, oh yeah, that's, I mean, I can see what I've done wrong there. I could have done it better, but actually this picture that I didn't pick up on, I really love it. What, what could I do with it? Then that, that would likely influence your new, your new approach. The next time you'll go and shoot something similar, you'll probably think of it. Do you ever look back at the stuff you've done before, before you endeavor on a new thing, whether that's like a commissioned piece of work or whether or not that's like a personal piece of work? Do you ever look back for your old stuff just to find out what you did right and what you did wrong, the stuff you liked and the stuff you didn't? For, for work specifically, it was just generally speaking. I guess you know, as in for, personal or professional stuff. Well, for, for me, uh, Paul will tell you, I've, I've struggled with personal work over the years. Um, there's either things that are personal, like I feel they should stay personal, so it's, it's, it's sort of family pictures and things like that. Yeah. Or it's not personal and, and I tend to do it for a reason. So it's mostly, that's why I was asking, it's mostly professional, you know, anything in, in the realm of the professional paid for work. Um, and yes, I do, because obviously, you know, what happens a lot is people will say, hey, I would like you to take a picture of this. I would like you to grade this. Um, have you done anything like that before? Could I see what you've done? Um, could I see if like your style or your approach is sort of what I'm after in the same way that they would make sure that, you know, your cost is within their budget. Yeah. And so I have to, I have to, and I think very often it informs what the final result is going to be because you, it's a base for the conversation as a commercial photographer, as a colorist, as in, as a purely commercial approach, 
you, you kind of try to preempt any misunderstanding, right? You, you want to make sure really early on that you're managing the expectations of your client or the people you do this for, and just so that you can sort of reduce the gap between the reality of what's achievable, you know, in a given time and budget constraint and what you actually end up producing. And so a good example was a few days ago, um, a couple of days ago, I was asked to go and do some corporate portraiture. Um, I was referred by a friend. So they contacted a friend and then the friend said, oh, sorry, can't do it. I've got this guy. He's brilliant. I'll send it your way. And then I had a conversation with the client and they just wanted 10 portraits, really simple, just a great background. It's really nothing fancy. They need nothing else. And we agreed on a date and that's what it was going to be. So I sent a bunch of examples and I asked them to send me a bunch of examples. And I also asked them to send me pictures of the space because they absolutely didn't want to spend more money uh, to go to a studio, which is fair enough. So I knew I was going to bring all my kids. I knew I was going to set up in some office space somewhere. And I knew it would be what it, what it would be. You know, you sort of, you do the best setup you can and then, and then you focus on the people and you shoot. But turns out that when I showed up, not only the space isn't quite what I saw, but there was a few more people to shoot than expected. They were not all there at the right time. The, the, the background it was in one place only. It was a, a specific gray that is on brand. Uh, the tables that were right in front of it couldn't move because they were actually attached to each other and to the floor. So actually, when you start going into the reality of the job, there is almost no comparison to what I thought right, I was right. expecting to see. And in that same way, they probably didn't expect me to come with this amount, even though I explained it and I sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, when I make a proposal with a pricing, I'm a bit anal. I'm quite different from Paul in that way. And when we started the business, it was actually a funny, a funny difference. We noticed a lot, but I, I put everything into a sort of a, a proposal document. Right. And this proposal document evolves and grows over the years. It, the, the version that is at now has, you know, 10 years worth of advice and questions and things to think about that are in there specifically for those, those type of shoots or for a corporate shoot. Does that form your brief? Well, no, not so much the brief, but that's part of the brief. As in, they will give me the brief. That brief will show on the, on the opening page where it says, essentially, this is what you're asking me. These are your words. Then after that, there's a bit that says, essentially, this is what I think you mean, and this is what I would likely do. And then after that, there's sections that say what you should do now, for example. You know, if you, if you do something that requires for me to use your brand colors and your logo, I want you to send me your brand colors and your logo. Right. So all that stuff at the proposal stage, I will put it there. And as well, I will put ideas of what to wear or not to wear on a corporate shoot, um, what sort of expectations in terms of, of time, what do women, um, what, what I think women should do in terms of their makeup, i.e., avoid shine rather than anything else. Yeah. Uh, all that sort of thing that you preempt, um, you're trying to preempt problems to kind of assume there might be problems and fix them before they come. Um, and it's just in case. And this is just for me to get those expectations of the client as close as possible to what I can basically actually do in the end. So you said that obviously this has been built with over 10 years of experience or whatever mm-hmm. are these things where you've turned up before and you've seen the shiny makeup and you've exactly how that doesn't work so yeah okay i'm adding this to the list so. exactly right for example one time i went and uh, out of i think it was 16 people or something like that 12 of them had glasses you have to take this in account what happens if they have glasses how much of the of the reflection of the light in there and what's acceptable what's not there's a variation from one to the other yeah you know, it, other things would be, I showed up one day and uh, someone was wearing the, the, the craziest red outfit that my camera couldn't handle. 
literally. Um, and, and then, you know, it makes you question, oh, I, should I think about these things? And should I, should I manage those expectations? The worst part is when people see themselves, you know, the client, obviously, you want, you want the client to be happy. Sometimes the client is not the subject. Right. You know, like a few days ago, there was 10 people to take pictures of. But my client is one of them. That's my contact. The other nine, they're just part of the staff. Yeah. And I have to manage their expectations as well. Right? And they've never spoken to you before, right? Exactly. So when they see the results, I'm not going to go into details and mention anything about who they are or anything. But one of them, for example, sure. has had an operation. A, a woman has had an operation um, on the jaw. And so she's a little bit bigger on the jaw at the moment because she's still, the, the, the pain and everything is slowly going away and resorbing. And so her face is coming back to a normal shape. She's just a little bit bigger than she would normally be. I would notice it, but she does. And she was self-conscious about it, which is absolutely fair because these yeah. pictures on, on professional websites end up st- sticking around for five or 10 years sometimes. Um, so there was a, a conversation to have to reassure, not only that I could do you know, good work and make her look good and make her look like herself, but also that if still it wasn't the case, there was a plan B, a bit of retouching if needed, really, um, helping her with position on the day and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think without that, I would have not had her, her best side on the day. And 100%, I can tell you, she would have looked at the pictures and said, there's none of them that I like. And I would have been in a tough situation, but somehow I would have found, I would have had to find a way to, um, to fix it. Regardless of whose fault it is, I'm, I'm really not looking at force. I'm looking at process. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's the type of thing that happened. You, you go to a place, you realize there's no lift. Um, you start asking whether there's a lift because you can't carry 50 kilos of gear up 12, stair, 12 flights of stairs. And so you build up this, this sort of image in your head of things to watch out for just so that on the day you don't have to, to worry about it. But obviously that's only half of it, right? That's only half the process. That's you preempting. Then comes the day, you have to shoot what you think you need to shoot being, you know, whatever expectation you have yourself whatever biased view you have yourself or what you, you need or want to produce. And that also in itself is, a, is an internal battle. I find that utterly interesting because really it's a, it's a whole process. It's almost an unspoken process uh, at times and then a very open and sort of a discussion type of process as well at the same time with the client. Um, do, do you understand what I'm trying to say there? Yeah, yeah, I think I do. And there's... There's this thing that we're all constantly striving to do, or we should be striving to do, which is managing the expectations of our clients. And I, I know that in the past, I might not have been as brilliant at that as, as I'd like to be. And you, you're forever falling short of it, right? Every so often, somebody will mention something and you think, oh, I did kind of have that conversation, but I should, should have probably had it over in an email because mm-hmm. maybe it got lost in translation. And when I said it to them and I thought I was being crystal clear, maybe I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all have these things all the time. And I just, I wonder if that's part of it, right? I would think so. I think so. I think it's this um, realization that it'll never be exactly what you have in mind. What, is, it, is it easier if you are actually really good at visualizing? Like, let's talk specifically about visual arts for a second. So yeah. say you are a photographer or colorist like me, or you are, you know, maybe a director of photography or anything that's sort of in the moment, in a certain limited amount of time, you have to produce a certain amount of work and it looks a certain way. And because you can't talk in what it looks like, you're talking words, 
you, you put your own meaning onto those words and what they mean visually. Sometimes you sit next to each other with a director, maybe or with a DOP and you talk about what they want and they use words like, I want it to make me feel blue. Or some clients will say, I want a result that's Apple-esque and all this sort of nonsense. And you have to make sense of what, what that means. So the question is, if you are really that good at visualizing what the final result can be, you know, does it make a difference on the outcome? Does it really make a difference on the outcome in terms of the difference between the expectations and the actual reality of what you produce? Yeah. And I'm not even sure that it does. I think, I think in that case specifically, it would be um, communication with whoever's involved if it involves other people. And I think that's a funny thing. You, you never quite reach your expectations. It's human condition, isn't it? You're never quite satisfied. Otherwise, you stop, you stop pushing forward. Sometimes you surpass them though, right? Sometimes yeah. you see the result and you're like, oh shit, I didn't even think it would be this good. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's exactly the same thing. It, whether whether it, 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 match, it doesn't match the expectations because it's better or because it's worse, it's kind of irrelevant. It's just not matching the expectations you have. Right. And, then, and then you have to question, you know, where are those expectations coming from? And are we fair when we look at the results? You know, are we doing a fair, are we doing it justice by judging ourselves or by judging others uh, when we look at the result without really maybe knowing what the process was? So this gets a lot more tricky when you're talking, when, when your client isn't as proficient in the language as mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that? So... I'll go back to that proposal that I mentioned earlier. It, it, one of the things I have in there at the very end is a little glossary of, of like a little summary of terms that I'll generally use. It's, it's especially, especially true with video projects because I think the lingo can be a little bit scary right, right. for people who don't know. Um, and so I try to, to explain the general broad concepts in there. I don't expect the client to understand it and to memorize it. Right. But then I have something to refer to when I speak to them. And if I feel they don't understand, I might say... When I, when I tell you the exposure needs to be right, do you understand what I'm saying? And they might say, yeah, I think so. Um, and then you read the definition that's written in that, in that little, in that page on the last page of the booklet. And they say, oh yeah, okay, oh yeah. I didn't quite understand that's what you meant. Now I get it. Um, you can't cover it all. I mean, otherwise for a one hour shoot, you might spend six hours chatting about what to do. The, the more experienced you become, as, as a professional uh, creative, the more you pick up on what people really understand and what people don't. Yeah. Even the ones who will use the lingo right, but don't totally make sense. Right. They, they know enough to be a bit dangerous. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that was me. And I still me in some specific subjects where I'll always kind of preface it by saying, I'm not an expert, but my understanding is that what do you think? Yeah. Am, I, am I in the ballpark? Am I understanding this right? Um, I, I know that I used to really worry, and Paul can, can vouch for that. I used to really worry about asking the same thing in different ways to the same person multiple times, you know, by fear of becoming really annoying. Yeah. But what I've realized is that a bit annoying before is much better than really failing after. And by failing, I mean not meeting expectations, right? If you are getting married and you pick a photographer and you look at their website and you see these amazing pictures, um, but turns out that photographer is a location photographer and it looks great only because it's in contrast. Right, right. And, and you're doing it in mommy's house, you know, 10 miles from here. Right, you're and, in Cannes. And, you're yeah, in. 
So you can't compare your your pictures to the one in Cannes or in Nice or in in Tel Aviv or, or, or wherever you know, right, right. in India. Once you start comparing, it just doesn't make any sense because you're not comparing like for like. Um, and I think it is something that as a as a young creative, you're you're this a mistake you're going to make over and over again. You forget that people have expectations that are anchored in their experience and their culture and their which you know nothing about. Which was, which is where actually, if you think about it, what is the first thing? Do you remember on the shoot uh, with Hedong? What is the first thing that we did in the morning after after the setup was done? Is we had a chat with everyone. Where do you guys come from? What do you do? Do you do that right. often? You know, are you are you a model for a living? Oh no, it turns out you're, uh, um, you know, you're in the West End or you're a singer. Or you're but you do that as well. Are you an actress? And some of them are models. Some of them are not models. And what happens is then you create not only that rapport, which is obviously a big part of it, but also you kind of start getting a sense of where they're coming from, maybe the kind of work they've done. And how you might communicate with them. And maybe whether they understand what you're trying to do in, in a way that's specific to them and what they need to do in that project compared to what the client needs to understand in terms of what you can or can't produce. And so it's an ongoing process. I feel almost the reason why I found this subject, reality versus expectation, so interesting it's because it's in everything really in a creative process. It's in everything that we do. And we see if we didn't have amazingly high expectations, we wouldn't uh, produce really high standard work. So it's, it's kind of central in many ways. It's part of every aspect of the, of the process. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? I don't think we've ever really touched on this in this podcast, but the longer you spend doing honing your craft, the better at that craft you'll get, but you don't necessarily get any better at talking to people and managing expectations until you start actually going out in the world and, and doing it. Not It doesn't even have to be for a living, but, but doing it with, with an audience of some kind. And that's where you start honing a different craft, the craft of being able to manage people's expectations, right? It's funny, right? Look, so this, the reason why Paul is mentioned so much um, when I'm on and probably my name is mentioned a few times when Paul is on is because we've both really grown together as photographers first, as friends as well, obviously, and as people, but as photographers, we've really uh, grown together alongside each other. Um, I'm, I'm much more technical. He's much more sort of off the cuff. I'm more comfortable with gear. He's more comfortable with people. And so it was very hard for me to think of it as what you, what you just said something that I would probably need to get better at. And that is as important as technically knowing how to push buttons on the camera. For me, pushing buttons on a camera was reassuring. If I click this way, it does that. If I click that way, it does that. If I push those settings, it looks like that. Yeah, you and then I can, that, right? Yeah, I can pick a subject and then shoot. But then in the process of picking a subject and making the most out of them, I was rubbish. Um, Paul was brilliant. So the first wedding we ever shot together... I probably uttered 20 words in the course of 16 hours. Um, I was really shy. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what they expected. I didn't know what they wanted. Did they want someone who was loud and funny like Paul? Did they want someone who was a fly on the wall who would just capture those moments that they would then pick up on later and think, oh my God, you were there. Do you know, I think it's just in human nature to be able exactly. to, to pull out bullshit. So I know... Sometimes when you meet someone, you get like a bad vibe and it's because you feel like this person's a fake. They're not true to themselves. And I don't think you're necessarily looking for somebody that you don't need an extrovert or you don't need an introvert. I think a lot of the times you just need somebody that's going to be honest and 
and doesn't yeah. creep you out, right? I, I agree. I agree. But remember, in, in a professional capacity, there is a contract, not a moral contract, which is there as well, but there is an actual contract or an agreement, X amount of money for X result. Yeah. And with a wedding specifically, there's no do-over. You've, you've done them. You know how stressful yeah, yeah, yeah. they are for them first and then for us photographers as well. Um, and it's all in the prep, right? If you're really, really, really well prepped, then you take away a lot of that stress and the result is much better. I think there's a personality trait as well, though, that you need exactly. in, in terms of being able to manage stress. So it, that's exactly day, what I was coming to. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Go, man. On, go on. Go on. Well, so the point I was going to make is on the day as the photographer or whatever the vendor type is of you, if, if you're, you know, a wedding's a really good example because there's a lot of sort of emotions running high and people have these ridiculous expectations that they've been planning this day sometimes for their whole fucking lives right absolutely and you have to be able to be even in the most pressured situations you have to be able to smile sweetly and say yeah this is all completely normal this is what we're gonna do you know maybe this plan's changing no sweat we're just gonna do this or this and I think if you're the kind of person that does buckle under pressure, you're kind of fucked. There's that, or there's also you have to produce. And that's the stressful part. Because obviously managing people, you know, someone is really sad and you want a happy picture of them and they're, say, for argument's sake, the mother of the bride. Yeah, you've got a problem there, but you also are not really responsible for the fact that she's crying, right? right. So there's like, you've got a bit of room there, but you still have to produce. So if you don't have a single good, good picture of, of the mother or the mother-in-law, you, you're in trouble. Um, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But once again, it's, this is where I think it's interesting. You, you, so we go back to what we were talking a couple of minutes ago. You think of the kind of person you are and what's your strength and what's not your strength. And then if you're committed, then you try to work on it on, on, on that one day while you're realizing it's a bit of an issue. So I was shy and I had to think, oh my God, I'm so shy. I have to say something. And I literally said almost nothing the whole day on yeah. our first wedding. Um, and the couple was Mary and Daniel. They were absolutely lovely. The loveliest of people. And they were so nice and they made it brilliant for us. Um, but obviously it's not their responsibilities for us to make it great for them. And, and we were two of us. It was me and, and Paul. I wasn't on my own. And that really helped. But after that finished and after a couple of other weddings and after Paul saying to me, you know, you really need to come out of your shell. And if you don't, I'm going to have to make you because I'm in that boat with you. And I can see you're a really talented photographer and I, I believe in you as a friend and as a photographer and I want you to shine. And mm. it's kind of the same of what happened the other way around when I would see that maybe say Paul is a bit less careful with his lines. Maybe he might not shoot you know, group shots as straight. So I'll shoot them a bit wider and then straighten after all that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm the opposite. So I would help him with that. And I think what happens is in our case, we got very lucky. We're almost like uh, work husbands and, uh, you know, it, <laughs> we're really upfront with each other. And yeah, so the, yeah, the, the yeah. learning curve and the growing has been much faster than it would have been on our own. Um, but that process became very clear. I have to overcome my shyness and become a leader in a sense of, I have to lead people who have never been married before, never had a wedding photographer with them yeah, yeah. Um, to make the most of the day. And so for me, it works in the prep right. and then also on the day coming out of my shell. And now, as you can hear, I'm much less shy. I can have a conversation with you and I feel really comfortable talking about the things that I think I know some about. Um, and that would have not been possible 10 years ago. I think when it's, you're working with people, there needs to be a confidence there, right? Because if, if people yeah. get the impression that you're not confident, you, you don't have any credibility. 
yeah, I think it's 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 important. It's not necessary, I would say, um, but it's as in for some people being super shy works and that's fine. I don't think there's a model, but in the commercial world, I think when you start asking for big money, mm. you know, if you're a two thousand pound a day photographer for a wedding and you compare that to a ten thousand pound a day uh, wedding photographer, the latter is probably going to be much more. I was going to say in your face, sort of much more confident, much more out there, much more, this is what you need to do in my opinion. Um, and that's because in order to produce what they make you pay a high amount of money for, yeah, they know they have to go through certain steps and, and get certain things out of you. Um, and they've built those skills. So maybe for us, for you and me, the small time wedding photographer, you know, quote unquote, small time wedding photographer, um, maybe that doesn't matter as much and maybe you have a niche. So when I was really shy, my niche was that people who, who liked having me around knew that I wasn't going to be over, overbearing and I wasn't going to yeah. be in, you know, in the middle of it all. I would be discreet and on it, on time, deliver, disappear. Um, and the people who hired Paul at the time wanted someone who was going to bring a bit of a happy, smiley, joking kind of right. high energy, um he's he's such a lovely guy wherever he goes you know people smile and that's kind of what people were after um and we built on that you know we built on that so we went from what we thought people expected um producing that work realizing to what extent it fits their expectations the, the reality of what we produced uh review that together which was our strength it goes back to the first question i asked you you know do you go back and revisit and get conclusions like conclusive answers as to what could have gone better that you had a, 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 some form of control over. Yeah. And we did that together. We were really quite harsh with each other. Um, me particularly with him at the beginning, because some of the mistakes that he made were just lack of attention rather than lack of, of talent. Um, and then he's such a like smart guy and he picks up on things so quick that once the, those corners were rounded, he, turned around and started to kind of attack me in, in, in a positive way, you know, attack my issues and kind of really help me come out of my shell. And over the years, it's been absolutely brilliant. And we've, we've been very lucky to have each other for that, but it's still a process and you have to revisit work and you have to revisit, you know, things like, I'll give you a few examples to tell you to what extent it's yeah. really part of the process everywhere. Things like, did you price it right? You asked for 500 pounds, turned out you worked for six days nonstop in a row to fit all the work. Well, it was a mistake because 500 pounds, hundred pound a day for what you do is never going to cover your costs. Nice. So you think of it in terms of, I can't sustain if I do this, therefore I have no choice, uh, but to change the way I approach things uh, with money. Another one would be, you know, the kind of gear that you have, does it fit what you're trying to do? Can you actually offer certain services if you don't own this gear? And if you do, you know, taking account the cost of renting, going to pick it up in terms of logistics and all the things that go with it and learning how to use it and so on and so forth. Um, and you can keep going like this. There's, there's so many aspects. We talked about how you interact with people, but it might be how you get new work or it might be how you keep to your promise to deliver on a certain day. And then once you've, you know, you, you miss the deadline by three hours, three times in a row, and your client has met each client has made a comment on the fact that you were three hours late. Maybe next time you plan for having three hours more. And what you do is you learn from those mistakes. Um, but that only happens if you are able to to do that process of going back and yeah, comparing yeah. what what the expectations were, what the agreement was, what what sort of the if you translated 
what they said they wanted into words, then would that match what you've actually ended up producing? It's almost second nature now, kind of always thinking, is it realistic? Is it like what they're asking or what I'm offering? Is it actually, re- I'm not even talking about feasible because if you spend enough time or enough money or enough energy or put enough people on it or mine hours, you, you know, you're, you can, you can absolutely do pretty much anything. But within those reality constraints, you know, time, money, yeah. space, access, skills, whatever, can you? Um, and should you manage what, what sort of promises you're making and what sort of expectations you're setting? Um, now, we've been talking about it with a client, but it's absolutely true with yourself. Over the years, I found it very, very hard to, um, what's the word? I was going to say lie, but it's not so much lie. It's sort of pretend that I'm very confident that I can do certain things, even though deep down, I think I can, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always found that, you know, the um, what's, what the, what's the expression? The, the um, imposter syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an extension of that. It's, I've always felt like, oh, I have to manage their expectations and I don't think I'm the right person for this. And so I need the money, but I don't really want to never see them again. And I feel like once you get to that point, maybe, maybe if you're sort of bullshitting your way through the door, there is, you know, may, maybe you deserve a bit of the imposter syndrome. But I, I feel like a lot of the time, speaking for myself, I've, I've felt it and I know exactly what I'm doing you're in the middle of something and you think, shit, I don't, I can't believe, I can't believe this is what I'm doing right now. And you've done it a million times before. So you, you know, it's, it's not like you haven't got a proven track record in doing whatever that thing is, but Mm -hmm. sometimes you're just crippled by this feeling of like, fuck, am I actually as good as I've told them I am? Let me ask you a question, right? On on that, on that very specific part of the subject. So have you, do do you do product photography? No, never. Never. Say for argument's sake, I show you a picture of a product. It's yeah. a bay bottle flying on a shiny background with a whole bunch of uh, water droplets and peanuts flying in the air, right? And a flare. And I say, I want to hire you to do that. And you agree. So then, that's probably, then that's probably where it would go wrong, right? So personally speaking, well, I know what my strengths are, right? And I know what I enjoy doing. And for me... I know that I enjoy people. Essentially, if there's not a person in the show, I'm probably not taking the gig. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. But go with it because I'm, what I'm trying to show is if it's something that you you wouldn't want to do in the first place, but ended up somehow committed, and I explain why. It, right. It's it's one of those things when you actually are full time photographer, videographer, whatever it is that whatever your your creative endeavor, you're you're a painter, or you're gonna have people who have hired you for a certain type of jobs, maybe, you know, three times a year, every year for the last five years. And then one day they ask you to do something completely different and they want you to do it because they have that relationship with you. And they will say, I don't care. It's not your specialty. I trust you. I want you. I will pay that money that you're asking. So you end up in this situation, you know, right? Okay. of course you can say no and you can just send them someone else, but there will always be in your career moments where you end up doing things that are quite okay, I'm with you. different what, to what, so what do you do then? Okay. So to preface, the first thing that would have happened is I would have probably explained that it's not my wheelhouse and I would have given them a quote that is over the odds for what they wanted. Right. So there you go. If, if they have chosen to do it, then 
they're paying me more than a fair wage to do it, right? So mm -hmm. I've made sure that even for the aggro it's going to cause me, I'm going to be very well compensated. So let's just assume that they've gone, yep, yeah, we're still happy with this ridiculous quote. We're going to go with you. So your question is, what do I do then, right? Yeah, what's your process? Do you, do you, is the first thing that you think of managing the expectations or is it managing your own expectations? I feel like or, I'm or is it even just looking into how, how to do it in the first place? Where yeah, does it start for you? I don't know. In terms of managing expectations, I would have hoped that I'd have done a better job at that at the front, right? And we all do and say things sometimes that don't land the way we intend them to. Mm -hmm, and you make mm -hmm. a little mental note and you go, right, in the future, I need to remember, even though I did mean the right thing, they didn't take it that way. So I need to make sure I don't word things like that. And I've, I've done that even in the last few weeks, I've said something to somebody and, and they've taken it a, a totally different way than I meant it. And you get that sideways look and you're like, you have to sort of quickly backtrack and then you're the arsehole for a second there. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that I'd manage the expectations in the first place well enough to, to sort of show that, you know, this really isn't my wheelhouse and I'm going to be learning on the job and you're paying me over the odds for it. And, and that, that's, the, that's the answer I expected from you. I think there's a, there's a respect for the client. That means that you have to, or, or the person you work with, Yeah, which means yeah. that you, you don't want to pretend that's your thing. Do you know what? This brings me back to the first bit, right? You've got to present reality to people, and you sort of brushed on this when you said that you either yourself or Paul would be speaking to clients depending on the energy or the vibe you were getting from that person you, you were giving them what they needed right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and I think that's super important like personally for me I tend to work alone and I feel like it's the most important thing in the world particularly when I'm doing something like a wedding or like a family shoot it's the most important thing in the world that I am true to myself so that when I speak to that potential client on the initial zoom call or, or, or meeting in a cafe or a pub or whatever it is that I'm myself and that I say to them, look, you are going to be with me more on that day than you'll be with anybody else. And it's super important to me that if we don't get along, if we don't click, I'm not your guy. It doesn't matter if you love the end results that I managed to get, it will be stressful for you if we don't click. And, Absolutely, And I put a lot of weight into that. And that for me is probably more important than the end product because I, I don't totally want to agree. leave a sour taste in their mouth at the end Absolutely. of their fucking, like particularly if it's a wedding, right? You don't want to be Absolutely. stressing someone out on their wedding day. And I'm not the kind of guy that will sit silently in the background. I'm, I'm not so much a fly on the wall. I'm like, I'm there, you know, I'm in it. I'm in the conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm chatting to people and some some people need that and some people don't so i, I feel but like the you've, reality you've versus... touched on it i think this is really important that you what you said just now which is you you have to be as much as possible your true self and they have to feel that you fit with the day right you know and not the other way around and and that's something that i i actually do as well uh, not that i do that many weddings anymore daniel has been taking over i don't, our, I don't our think it's side. But I think this goes way beyond weddings, right? This could yeah, be your, totally, corporate, this could be your corporate shoot. It could be like you're doing a music video for somebody or, or, or something. If you're not going to enjoy working with those people, and you know, even more importantly, if they're not going to enjoy working with you, then you need to be brave enough to say, do you know what? I'm not your guy for this. I know you're I think it's your best um, sales tool, actually. And this is what I was going to say. The, the, by saying to them, 
unapologetically, but, you know, in a friendly manner, look, this is kind of who I am and I want to make sure we get on. And you should look at my work before we make any sort of rush uh, decisions because you need to like what I do because right. what I do is what I do. And then I, you know, it will be you in the pictures, but the pictures won't be, I'm not going to start shooting differently just because it's, it's your your day. Right. So what you do is you're empowering yourself and your clients to choose, to be the choosers. They are the decision makers. It's their day. And you're totally in acceptance with that. And so what, you, what you're showing is that from that point onwards, if they show, um, if they are interested in, in going with you and they decide that you're going to be shooting their wedding or whatever else, that they can trust that you will always have their interest at, at heart um, and that you will be true to yourself. And, and so you, what you said is to me really important in the process of uh, making new clients, making, meeting new clients. And this is why me and Paul were so lucky because we had not one, but two personalities not one, but two approaches, you know, um, and, and so depending on who we felt was likely going to be, um, you could change that creating name. the best, yeah, the best rapport and get the best out of, out of the conversation with the client. One of us would take the lead. um, really shy people who clearly didn't know what they wanted, needed a bit of a push and, and Paul would be doing that. Uh, and people who were just, you know, making sure it doesn't cost more and everything that's, that we committed is in there and, and it's all written down and all that sort of thing. I would, I would deal with that. Yeah. Um, and, but when you're on your own, it's a lot harder. You don't have anyone to feedback on, on sort of what worked and what did it. And so you have to revisit both the work you've done, but the conversations you've had, this is why chatting to your peers, whether they are photographers like you or they do anything else and asking them how they handle those situations mm. is so important because you learn through your own experiences and, and then their experiences as well. Um, I, you know, I wanted to go back to something that I thought was, was quite interesting with the shoot with, with Lindsay, which you were, you were at. Yeah. Um, you were a little bit part of the prep in the sense that you, you overheard what was likely going to happen and then you showed up on the day. Um, and then now you've probably you've seen the result and you can see yeah, uh, a little bit how different the result is to what we were shooting on the day and why we were shooting it that way. We we're going to process it certain way and so on and so forth. But Lindsay, Lindsay, the, 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 the client, essentially, the, she's, she's, she was at the center of it all, managing budget and figuring out who was going to be a suitable. She's, she essentially produced the shoots. Her expectations changed so much and it's such a skill to be able to review your expectation and change them to kind of make it fit within, like we talked about constraints, budgets, time, and so on and so forth. Um, and if you're not able to do what she did, then you're not able to produce what we produced with her within the so limited budget that we had um, at the time. It's, it's, it's amazing. I was never like that. Um, my first few years of, of being a, a professional photographer um, all the experience I had as a photographer really fed and helped with color grading. Now that I do almost only color grading, it, the, a, a lot of my work is in those first couple of emails, asking them, what are they going to provide me? What are they expecting? And then despite all of this, I still ask to see a cut, even not final. So I can assess because it doesn't matter what they say to me at the end of the day. They may say it's really well shot. And I look at it and I think it's not well shot at all. Yeah. But the reason why I say this is because, if you think about it just a little bit deeper, it's, there's something a bit more subtle, which is beyond, you know, the conversations you have and managing people's expectations and maybe the client manages yours uh, with what they, you know, with a grade, with what sort of uh, footage they're providing you. At the same time, there's something that's happening internally. 
um, which each of us, and it's what's the meaning? What's the meaning? What's the, what's the feel? What's the, this feeling that comes out of, you know, watching this short film or looking at those pictures, or if it's your wedding, look back at your wedding pictures for the first time when they're delivered. Like what, what happens inside you as a creative compared to and, and the meaning of that piece uh, for you as a creative compared to the audience it's intended to. Um, if you think about it in that way, then you realize that you actually don't have a lot of control that you can, you can only do so much. And then once it's out there, it's out there. Um, and so there again, there's a difference between what you expect people to get out of it and what they actually get out of it. And the best example I can give you with this is the very first time Paul uh, put a book together. We talked about that book for a long time, for months and months and months on end. Right. It was supposed to be a specific kind of portrait challenge. We kind of, we kind of let it go eventually and he was doing his thing. And then he showed me one day his first version. And I looked at it and I said, Oh my God, love this. This really doesn't fit there. Why is that there? I don't see the point. And, and as I was going through the images, his eyes were widening. And in the end he said to me, do you know what? You just made me realize something. It's of course, everyone's going to have a different feel and, and understand it a different way. And there's only so much you can do. Right. Um, and I think it, it made him think, okay, maybe I should, rethink the way I am doing the layout and which order I'm putting the pictures in and what I'm trying to say there, because it needs to really ring true to me. Yeah. Once it's out, you can then be free from, from those expectations and whether they match, you know, reality. And I think that's the really beautiful thing about what we do as creatives is that ultimately you are in charge of all the decisions that, that you make. And you can choose whether or not you want to take the advice you're given or not. And sometimes the people that you have around you that you trust don't necessarily, sometimes they give you a bit of a bum steer, right? Well, not everyone agrees, right? So your mum looks at it and sees an aspect of you, a side of you in in your work. And then your brother, maybe a slightly different version of that. And your best mate, maybe something else. And your girlfriend, something else. And your client, something else. And your best client from 10 years ago, something else. And so there's not one thing that's going to fit them all, one thing that's going to please them all. And so you do, you do in the end think, you know, there has to be this, this common denominator. And in my work, that's me. Yeah. I am the common denominator. I am, I am at the inception of all, all of those. And if you are true to yourself and if you are honest with yourself and if you are attempting to grow, meaning the second time you do something, you, you try to, to fix some yeah. of the problems that you, you did the first time and the third time the same with the second time and so on and so forth, then basically you've done as much as you could do to present the work in a way that you feel is representative of what you're trying to, you know, to show and to share. And the, the way world. you deliver it, right? Yeah. So and then, it, and then it's, you free it's not yourself. Just, yeah. It's not even just the the work itself, but it's, it's the whole client journey changes over time. You learn from the little bits. Okay, this didn't mm-hmm. land the way I wanted it to, or it might be better if I do this six days later or sooner, or mm-hmm. maybe I need to ask this question here. You're constantly evolving the business side of your creativity. I think ultimately that is the thing that means you can manage the expectations so that reality will end up being closer. You'll never completely match, but. Mm-hmm closer to, to what they were hoping for in the first place. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think that's a good way to put it. And I think you're inch, inching little bit by little bit, between one job after the other, especially if you do the same kind of job regularly. So say you're a portrait photographer and 
you do a certain type of portraits and then a few days later, another type of portraits. And they all fall within the portrait c- category and you're seeing your mistakes from one and then putting a fix, if you like, trying to put a fix to that for the next one. And then something else pops up and you try to fix that for the next one and so on. And it is the only way you essentially grow, you know, re- revisiting, figure out, figuring out what you think you've done wrong and then trying to kind of correct that. But in saying that, you're still in the process of managing people's expectations. You're still in the process of trying to be creative, to do something yeah, yeah. that is portfolio worthy. Um, so there's a lot going on. I, I believe in inching towards that, um, that situation where you've, you, you keep making... It's never said, ending journey, right? Exactly. It's, it's all, basically, it's about the journey, essentially. It's, it's this, can I get it a little bit closer? Or can, can I make it a little bit clearer? Or can I make my client a little bit more accepting of the potential variations of the, of the sort of result? Like this is actually an interesting difference between say photography and, and color grading. Um, like with photography, you know, the, the, the portraits I did a few days ago, I knew exactly what was the gray of their brands. Uh, I had seen a picture of the space, even though it turned out I couldn't place my lights where I wanted. So I, I preempted all of that. I brought small light stands, big light stands, uh, big lights, small lights, stuff that unfolds and takes a lot of space, but also stuff that is quite small and actually is compact. I bought a long lens in case I could have enough space to step away from them and, and use compression to make everyone look thinner. Uh, but I also had a wide angle in case it was so tight. that So I covered all my possibilities, all the things that could go wrong. I've covered all of those. And then on the day, turns out I ended up doing exactly what I thought I was going to do in the first place. Um, you see, I need, I need to learn to be more like you. I rock yeah, up you, on the day minimal, right? <laughs> I, I turn up with two cameras, two lenses, and I force myself to create within those parameters. I set myself basically little rules, right? So yeah. I know that this is this is as good as it gets, and I'm going to make the best of it with this. But so, think of it now. If I put you in a controlled, and this is an important word, controlled environment, yeah, so I say, guess that's the difference, right? I'm in the studio in a environment. You go in a studio, you have a certain amount of space, a certain amount of lights, you know, like say five different lights that you can use, a bunch of light modifiers, a background, and then you set it up a certain way with a certain set of settings on your camera and you shoot it. You leave that in place and come back a week later, turn it all on, take another picture, and that picture is identical. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the difference between um, a, a photographer doing that kind of work and a photographer doing maybe more street stuff, maybe yeah. more ambient light stuff, or as a colorist, you know, really, really having to take into account the type of footage that comes to you and the, the way it was shot, what was the mindset behind it, having conversation with the director of photography to figure out why does it look so dark to me? Uh, maybe it was rated at a different ISO yeah. and why You're and right. all those sort of thing that basically I know that with color grading, the fact that I'm able to let go of those things and accept that things will be different um, is much easier for me than it is for my clients. And so I really have to do that work with them. But with photography, it's a bit easier because although you do manage expectations in some controlled environment, like I've explained, you can actually make it, you know, say for example, they they pick a, a photo of something online and they're like, oh, look at this product. I love it. I want exactly that. But instead of it being a beach ball, I want it to be a t-shirt my t-shirt that I'm selling on my brand. Yeah. Then it's really easy to visualize it. And you can say, okay, this is how I can see it would work. There's still a lot of um, expectations being managed 
But at the end of the day, by the time that you get your first picture out and you put it side by side with what they showed you they wanted, you can actually assess how close you 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 are. How I don't like to call it that, but how successful you were in right, right. creating what they visualized in their mind. I guess with grading, it's much harder. Yeah. It's much less possible. With painting, it's much harder. You might mix the same three bits of paint of the three different colors uh, to make that one tone the same way every single time and have a slight variation. Um, and you might do three layers, you know, four days apart or three days apart and have a slightly different tone to it. And, and so the, the, the challenges are different. The way you manage expectations is different. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder whether or not there's a common theme running, running through this. And I think the common theme is how many of the variables you'll have control of on the day. So we all know that we want to strive for a bit more consistency rather than less so that you mm-hmm. get like a better quality outcome, whatever it is. And I on think, our side anyway, you know, not, not so much on the client side, but on, on our side anyway, it's really important. Well, uh, yeah, I guess. But it's also important to the client that you have a, a consistently good service that's what i mean right you you're have. providing a service right you're not necessarily <laughs> yeah, yeah. just a product as a creative you're a, the whole experience of working with you as a service yeah and yeah, i think yeah. to, to keep that consistency particularly when there's lots and lots of variables right um so you know if, if i'm shooting a wedding or or whatever that could be anybody that, that could be in a number of different churches or someone's house or or some other venue like i because i don't have control of all the variables the only way i can get the consistency is for myself to to be consistent with my approach that's the absolutely that's the only way i can be consistent particularly if you're moving around a lot on the day you're hopping in and out of a van or whatever and i guess if you're in a studio you have more control over those variables and and maybe the choices you make uh can be less consistent on your side and you'll still get the consistent results because you have control of some other stuff essentially anything that can be controlled repeat, repeatedly controlled it's good to to control it if you can in those processes because that's less viables less things that are changing and when you have less viables to handle on the day there's more room for you to actually be creative and do do amazing work yeah yeah it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing when you think of the different specialties different types of artists or creatives and how their challenges are essentially really different. And I guess the thing is, is if you're, I don't know, if you're scoring movies, you know, nobody's approaching, I know you see these big Marvel movies and they all have a certain sound to them, right? None of those guys are approaching Danny Elfman and being like, right, we expect you to do what, what these other guys are doing, you know, Danny Elfman has a certain sound. If you ever seen mm-hmm. a Tim Burton movie, you've heard mm-hmm. it, right? You've, Absolutely. you've watched the Simpsons or whatever. Like, you know, that guy is not that the product you're going to get is not the same. And but I guess I'm, this guy would have managed expectations himself. Yeah, he would exactly. have said, you know, if you want something similar to um, what I've done for Tim Burton, then let me see what you've done. Let me see if that fits. Let me see if that's where it should go. Yeah. I've got one final question for you, right, Roman? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm super interested in this because I'm, I'm tackling this myself at the moment. We all have a portfolio, right, as creatives. How frequently do you dip back into that portfolio and maybe rework some older pieces to fit with your current portfolio? Or do you only just keep it up to date with, with new work coming in and you slowly lose the stuff that's been there for a while? 
I've got a not so straightforward answer as often. I like to talk. I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Mate, we've got nothing but time. Um, no, but but joke aside, I, I, I've I've changed my mind a lot on this subject, and I've gone back and forth. Um, so I guess my answer is a two or three parter. The first off, I think when you do it first, you have to be really ruthless. So um, you have to limit the amount. Show only things that are at a level that you think represents what you're capable of doing. Um, and always look to replace the weaker work. So I would say, you know, when I was doing live music photography, which is what I started with, I had a live music section and I had a portrait and editorial section. And they were the two sections I had. And in each section, there was 20 pictures. Um, and every time I would get a really strong new portrait, I would take whatever is the weakest portrait on that portfolio and replace it with that new strong picture. Um, and once I would have done that, then I might slightly rework the order of things so that it feels like it all belongs together, um, but something really minimal. And I did that every month or every six weeks for oh, years. Wow. That's really frequent. Yeah. And that was because I had no confidence in the quality of the work. Did you ever um, go back and re-edit some of the old work? No. no. And actually that's something that, for years I said I wouldn't do, and now I probably I'm a bit softer on, uh, and I'll explain in a second, but that, that's how I started with this. And so this is a really good place to start for most people. If anyone who's listening is looking to be, you know, potentially going full time with, with creative work, big photography or anything else, your reel or your, your portfolio has to really be as strong and, and focused um, as possible. So portraits had only portraits, and live music had only live music. And if I put, you know, three uh, album covers in the middle of that, it would ruin it because people just need to be slightly spoon-fed. Do you know what um, else I'm going to say on this topic? And this is something I've learned in the last couple of years. Your portfolio should be, when romance is focused, I think, I, I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but what I think of when I think of focused is is short, short and snappy. What you don't want, if you're reviewing someone else's portfolio, is to have this never-ending scroll and you're seeing multiple shots that all look exactly the same, just slightly different edits of the same yeah. shit. Most clients, right, and I've sort of tested this, most clients aren't looking at more than... If they get to 20, 20 images, then they've looked at a lot. You know? Exactly. So and that's why I, I chose 20 as a, as, a, as a number for me over the years. That worked really well. Um but, but you're absolutely right. And another thing is a lot of people tell you you have to have your strongest work at the beginning, and that's true. It doesn't have to be the strongest, but it should be some of the strongest work and it should make sense in an order so that when people see it, they go, okay, I know I what, what that photographer is, yeah, is yeah. all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess but that so, probably is the same for, for any, like even if you're a musician, I would imagine, like, can you imagine that you're looking for a musician for something and then suddenly they send you, right, here's a hundred tracks. I'd be like, I'm not listening to a hundred tracks. Exactly. I was going to say music is a bit harder because you actually have to spend the time listening. With pictures, you can flick. Um, with a reel, uh, like flicking, a colorist they're not looking reel. anyway, right? Well, it depends. You know, if you're, if you're a punter off the streets, then yeah, maybe not. But if you're a creative director with 40 years experience, flicking is probably good enough for you. Yeah, maybe. But you've probably already made up your mind in the first couple of images. And I guess this is what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. Less is more. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that should be the starting point for everyone. How often you revisit it, I guess, depends on how often you work 
of the kind of that of the kind that should end up in your portfolio gets produced. So um, when Paul started, he had six month he got a six month contract at the BBC um, doing a whole bunch of photography, and it was a very very varied kind of. You know, one day you do one thing, one day you do another. The next day you go and do people in the radio. The next day you do some event about some celebrity. The day after it's about staff. The day after it's, a, you know, everything and anything. Then he, he could have updated his portfolio weekly if he wanted to until he got to a place that he was happy. Uh, for me, live music was an easy one. I had two to six gigs a week for five years, six years. I remember gigs. Yeah, and it was, it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, the day I went and I shot Jay-Z, the, the picture of Jay-Z that was my favorite of that day ended up on the portfolio straight away because it was a name, because it was a great picture, because it, it, it looked exactly like the kind of picture I would take, because it was technically correct, you know, it, because there were so many elements that felt right. Yeah, yeah. And, and that never got pushed out of the portfolio because of who he is. But other things, like there was a picture of Paul, which was a test shoot, which I thought actually was really nice and ended up in the portfolio for a while. And then that disappeared over the years. And then eventually he came back. But I wanted to talk about another aspect of this. So, so that's my, my first sort of first part of the answer. But the other part of the answer is, if you actually think about it, um, it has to be also a little bit broad. So in many ways, there's no right answer. So you might have like, this is, this is kind of what I would say today, depending on who you're trying to get to, you might show different things. I often say that clients who used to um, want to hire me for uh, wedding photography when they would see what I would be, what I was doing with my live music stuff or what I was doing with Paul on Soda Visual, um, they would get really impressed, all these celebrities and all these really nicely lit high budget shoots. That was brilliant for them. It was like, hey, my wedding photographer shot Jay-Z or shot whoever. Yeah. Um, but the other way around was not true at all. The, the, the people from Sony Music who gave me a lot of work over the years because of because of the relationship I had with one of your podcast guests, um, Chris, Chris Lopez. Yeah, so because of that, that, I was treated on the basis of the relationship they had with him in the first place, being his former assistant. And then once I had a relationship with them directly, um, they would treat me on the basis of that. And so they would say something sometimes to me, you know, do you fancy going to do a meet and greet with Billy Joel? Or, you know, like, you're like very casual about it. Yeah, sure. Um and so it's, just to see what I'm saying, it has a different, mm. it, it, it will mean different things for different people. Now, when I did my first portfolio for Soda Visual, which was supposed to be a commercial company, I realized that some people, um, a lot actually of people who come to me are people who manage small departments in small to medium sized companies, mostly, or in agencies, commercial agencies. And these people are able to pick out of the bunch what suits them. So a lot of people will say, hey, I saw you've done X, Y, Z, you know, picture 12 or video 52 on your portfolio, whatever. I'm saying some random shit. Just, you know, this one, that one, that one, that one. Do you think you could do something like that for us? Um, and how much would it cost? So I, I, I think it's a trial and error process. And I think it is a mix of putting what you think people expect there, but also having some form of flexibility where maybe you can accept that as much as a picture you love, you think should be there, it probably doesn't fit with the rest. And, you know, I think, I think people are really tempted often when they start with photography, for example, specifically, um, they'll be tempted to put like two or three equally as good pictures of the same shoot, either one after the other or, or in different 
parts yeah, or like yeah. a, a different in, in a different part of the um, at a different place within the the flow of pictures of that portfolio like not enough and, variety yeah and i would say don't do that i don't want to see more than one picture of a shoot or if it's a diptych you know two side by side as a as a piece sure but what happens is that subconsciously people look at it and think Oh right, yeah. He does just this one thing. That's 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 what he does. So if I want that, he's perfect to the way he's not. Um, so I'm likely not going to use them. I think you can sometimes get get stuck in that. Like I know on my on my professional website, where at this point I've actually shot quite a few weddings. I need to update my portfolio. But if you look on my on my weddings page on my, on my website right now, there's actually only two or three weddings worth of stuff in that portfolio just because that's mm-hmm, all i have mm-hmm. but as time goes on definitely may, maybe immediately after i get off this <laughs> I, I, see, I need to update it to, to you, you could do two ways in. you could do two ways you could you could take your existing portfolio and say what's weak this 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 great okay that's the weakest half so for argument's sake um Oh, well, I have a better shot of tables being set up. I have a better shot of someone putting a ring on a finger. Uh, okay, so I start bringing all this stuff and, and kind of do a new version of that um, portfolio and that's that. And that will be great already as a starting point because you're basically saying to someone who comes to your website, have a quick look here. You'll get a sense of what it feels to have me as a photographer. And if you want to see more, maybe you can click into you know, another section of the website, yeah. maybe there's something feel, a bit more in depth. I feel depth like you've or, also got to be really blog. aware of the kind of person that you're actually looking for. Like who is your target yeah, and what yeah. are they going to be, what, what, are they, what are they hoping to see? Some people will, will do only Asian weddings because it's, it's a completely different world. It's over multiple days. Yeah. It tends to require a male photographer and a female photographer when they're quite religious um, or Jewish weddings are the same in that way. And sometimes you might be specializing in something else, maybe gay and lesbian weddings that maybe is a, I have no idea. Like uh, what I'm saying is you do cater for different crowds. Right. But what I was going to say is there's another way to go about this and you have to be careful and kind of find your, your balance is to go the other way where you share too much. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm more like that myself. And on our wedding website, um, you're trying to be all things to all people, not all things to all people, but show more than you need to show. So they feel that there's no doubt as to whether you're able to achieve. Right what they see on the screen. And so the way we've done it is we've got a portfolio that has, you know, 30 pictures or so because weddings, there's so much going on. You're, you're, you're a portrait photographer, you do group shots, you do events, you do details, you do product, you do, you do a whole bunch of stuff during the day. And you literally have to, to have multiple skills as a photographer to cover the whole day if you're on your own. So there's quite a lot to show, but what we have is a section that shows individual weddings, like say, a kind of wedding album type selection. So maybe 80 to 100, 120 pictures um, in an order, in a chronological order to tell the story. And we would make just a page that has literally those images with at the beginning, a couple of lines about when it was, where it was, uh, maybe how many guests and sort of what the mindset was of the couple behind uh, the, the decoration of the day. And then pictures. And that was it. So you could go and see three different weddings and you would see from beginning to end. So you would see the prep, a little bit of the pre-ceremony, a little bit of the ceremony, a little bit of the de- dining and so on and so forth, all the way to the dancing at the end, a couple of pictures of dancing at the end. Um, so you would get a sense of the storytelling, but it would be proper, uh, yeah, as in okay, relevant to that one couple. 
Yeah. And then you look at or the next one, one, it's in France. You look at the next one, it's a gay couple. You get the next one, it's uh, some religious couple of some kind. You look at the next one, it's only uh, two people wedding with, you know, mom, dad on both sides, and then a friend. So there's I feel like, like you're still doing people. the same thing there, though, right? So you're still... You're, you're just doing multiple portfolios. So you might yeah. have the, the Jewish wedding here or, or or whatever it is. It sounds like you're still doing the same thing. You're, you're just I'm trying to give like them the little, choice. Right. I'm trying to say to them, have a look there, see if any of those speak to you. And then when I speak to them on the phone, um, which is, I, it's a funny thing, actually. We, we assume that people go to our website first and then they come to us. But unless you have really good SEO, it's not, not the, the, the case very often. Either they found you or if they haven't found you, someone's given your name, right? And they, they looked you up and they go on your website and they go, oh, yeah, okay. But you don't know what kind of person that person is. And so once you speak to that person, you might say, oh, okay, yeah, it sounds like, you know, say, um, Louisa knows they were, they were trying to do, we didn't quite understand it in the first place. They were trying to do a um, festival themed uh, you know, with tents and right, right. tippies and things like that uh, kind of wedding. Uh, and it was on the actual um, piece of land where an actual festival happens every year somewhere in Wales. Um, and the, through the conversation, we kind of figured out where they were after. They were friends of friends through Paul. So there was obviously that, that report before. Um, but it was very easy for us to say, hey, look, on our website, there's like 12 different weddings in full. And this one and this one and this one, they're kind of bohemian but there's one in particular that happened in a derelict theater, which I think is the kind of style you're after. Right. And so it really helped with the conversation. And then within that, they were able to say, oh, I love the opening shot of this. Oh, I love like the, this, the moment where the girl is getting ready and all the friends are wearing these flowers and the, the hair. And it's so, you know, bohemian is exactly what I'm after. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a conversation starter in many ways. I think it comes back to what we were saying originally as well, right? Where, exactly. Bridging the gap between what right. they say they're expecting and what you can real, realistically produce. And I'll add one thing there. Once you have this conversation, they might say, oh yeah, we really want this picture you've done there. And I will say to them, well, hang on. In this case, very specifically, we set up the, the, the day so that we would have an hour to do those shots. We, I, I went and I did a recce in the morning specifically for it. And we knew exactly what, that we were going to light it. So out of that hour, we spent 30 minutes trying to get that one shot. Yeah. So when, when you then manage those expectations, you say, you know, if that's what you want, that's fine. But look at this one instead. This is the same version without spending 30 minutes. This is a 10 minutes shot. And then we were left with 50 minutes going around the grounds of the venue and doing this kind of picture. And so you give them the tools and maybe the language to explain to you clearly what their expectations are yeah. so that you can somehow get better and better as you get closer to the day to meeting those. I think that, I think that's super important just to be upfront and honest with who you are and, and what you do. And I, I feel like we've, we've kind of hammered that point quite a lot this episode but it's super important there was something you said earlier as well right that that made me think of one more thing that that maybe wasn't on either of our notes so when you were talking about sony and they flippantly said to you oh, do you want to go and go and shoot billy joel and you know for them that was just a very off the cuff thing and you're like sure i'll go and do that and the thing that reminds me of is money right so when a client approaches you particularly if it's in the commercial space like they want you to design something or, or do something for them oftentimes people will underprice themselves based on what they believe is a lot of money and you've got to remember that if somebody huge 
comes to you, may, maybe it is like, I don't know, Virgin or something. If Virgin come to you and they're after a piece of work, you could underprice yourself and they might not take you seriously. So you could turn around and say X number of thousand pounds and say it convincingly and they might pay it, right? So I guess don't let your experience of of money shadow how you price your work. You shouldn't be able to afford your own rates. This I agree. This I agree. And what I was going to say is actually I, I partially disagree with you. So there's there's a, there's a whole there's a whole truth in there, which is that if you underprice yourself, no one's going to fight you to pay you more money. So obviously gauging what you think the client can afford is just as important as being right. fair with what you're asking and being honest with what you can, you can deliver. So I, I'm with you on that. The specific example of Sony music is a weird one because they have set rates as in, you know, they'll pay between, I think at the time it was somewhere between 250 and 350 for a shoot, which was generally a couple of hours, an hour and a half, a couple of hours. Um, but it wasn't always the same and it wasn't always the same amount of work and it didn't always feel fair. Some days you'd go and the artist would be really difficult and you'd wait for 90 minutes to then uh, yeah, you know, 30 seconds with them. Yeah, yeah. So with, with Akon, which was not for Sony, but for Blues and Soul magazine, for Akon, I was there for two hours and 10 minutes, but I had about 40 seconds with him um, and I shot six frames and that was it. And, and I think you have to be very accepting of that in that, in that industry and that's fine. Um, but the money thing where I disagree with you, the money thing is if, let me say, let me put it this way, say Virgin or Sony, there's someone on, on the other end of the phone and they give you a call and they expect for you to charge the same amount as the person last time, say 500 pounds for argument's sake, regardless of how long the shoot is, or it's just, just yeah. to have something to talk about. Right. So they call you and they say, we need you to go and do this. And it's basically a half hour shoot, but you might wait half an hour to an hour on either, in either side of it. Great. And where is it? Here's, it? That's the place. Oh, do you know what? Turns out it's downstairs for me. I literally come downstairs with my bag from home, walk hundred meters and I'm there. Right. How much is it? So I might say, because I really want to get it. And maybe it's a nice artist and maybe I want to work with Virgin or with Sony or whoever. I might say it's 200 pounds. What are they going to say? Sure. That's great. Thank you. Here's the address. They're not going to say, let me pay you more, or they're not going to say, let me, let me find someone else. They're not. You just underpriced yourself. I, I think it. it depends on what, what it's for, right? And yes. I, I should probably have prefaced that, that it depends yes. what the campaign is. If it's going to end up being, I don't know, let's go with your example, right? And it's Sony. If it's going to be an album cover or if it's going to be some part of global advertising, they're going to expect a certain level of professionalism. And if you come at them with 200 pounds... That. So that, that's absolutely true. And I think with commercial work, and I'm talking very specifically about above a certain amount, you know, when you go beyond the day rate, you know, yeah. something that is not, how, how much is it? Well, it's four days, you know, it's I cost okay. 500 pounds or a thousand pounds a day, whatever you cost. And you say, well, three days times my day rate equals the cost. But beyond that, if you go beyond that, and you say, I need a producer, I need to prep some stuff, right. I need to have a makeup artist, I need to have a location, anything that needs a bit of prep, a bit more than just a day rate, a bit more right. post-production, a bit, a bit more, therefore it's, it's an overall project that you're managing. You're hiring people, you're basically managing a project. Uh, yeah, you're uh, basically uh, going beyond the scope. And yeah, there, yeah. even if they've seen what you do on the website and they like it, yeah, there you have to be a little bit careful where, in the same way that they wouldn't ask their clients any less than say 150 grand 
um, they probably wouldn't expect to pay you any less than 10 grand, you know, and then I guess experience falls like it's, it's one of those things where depending on what you've done in the past, who you've spoken to, how... And I guess it comes back to your original, you know, when you were saying at the beginning that you have a, a set list of questions you like to get them to answer over the course of a few emails and that kind of stuff. You're mm-hmm. gauging what exactly their expectation is so mm-hmm. that you can meet that, right? And I feel yeah. like that's really important that you don't lose sight of, okay, so this is a giant global brand. This is what they're going to be doing with this stuff that I'm doing for them. And do you know what I actually need to charge a certain amount to actually make myself, my services seem viable to them, whatever you're doing, videography, photography, color grading, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a big part of it. Um, I, I've developed a few tricks that I'm happy to share quickly with you before we go, if, if you want about, about yeah, this specific awesome. aspect. Um, but I find that generally speaking, the, the less I worry about coming across as someone who doesn't know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the more I make my questions actually really sort of relevant and natural and totally makes sense that I would ask those things. And therefore there's no problem. And I explain to them why I ask those questions. So I'll give you an example. One of the things I say a lot is for big companies like say Virgin, I would say to them, okay, well, but just tell me, you don't have to tell me the exact budgets if you don't want to share it, although it would be better because I could tailor the shoot to your budget. Um, but if you if you don't want to share a budget with me, is it in the low budget or in the high budget in terms of what you guys consider low or high? You know, are you is it for you a small shoot or is it for you a big shoot? This sort of slightly um, kind of vague loaded, yeah, they, they are they are open ended, slightly loaded questions. Or you're basically saying, what what are we talking about? So if they say it's small, you can say, okay, well, it's small. We only need this, this, that, and the other. And this is the kind of cost we're talking about. Does that fit with what you have in mind? Great. I'll make a quote. You see what I'm saying is before even making a quote, I would say. You're already managing the expectations. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then I'll give them a range. I'll say, you know, I, I can come one man band, one, one camera, a couple of lenses, backpack on the bag, come for two hours and you could spend 300 or 400 pounds and that would be that. Um, or it could be all the way to, you know, 10,000 pounds or 50,000 pounds if you want right, to right. Uh, cater for multiple people. The, the people in the shoot would be, you know, models would be a different ethnicity, different ages, different locations. Maybe the set gets stressed, like how far do you want to push the envelope? Yeah, yeah. And what you do is you you open them to kind of divulging. Yeah. yeah, they are basically maybe dropping the guard down and in explaining to you what they're trying to achieve. Uh, and, and you're not trying to trick them. You're literally trying to no, give no. them value for money, yeah. but you, you're trying to figure out what that value is and what that amount of money is in terms of what's right for them and what's right for you as well. So you, you try to open a door for them to walk through and then they tell you, well, you know, last time this is what happened. And they might say things like, Oh, I don't remember exactly what we spent, but it was around the five grand mark or something. It wasn't too much. You see, there's someone it was five grand. It wasn't too much. You're like, Oh, well, I was going to ask for a grand. And now you're asking for five grand. You say that that's not too five, much. five grand. Yeah. And you're saying that's not too much. So maybe actually I can be a little bit closer to five grand. It doesn't have to go five grand. And, and also I think you have to be aware of what you can do. You're not going to ask five grand just for the, we have done it. Me and Paul, I won't say who it was, but we had a client who came to us. We said, this is what we need, a bunch of corporate stuff, a couple of videos, a couple of bits. We put it together and it was a contact, a friend of ours. And the guy said, 
just do a quote. I'll have a look at it. I'll ask for a quote somewhere else and I'll tell you what they've said. And I'll, I'll make sure that you basically get as high a quote as possible, but still below the others. And I hated the fact that it did that for us because I felt that it was really unfair if I had been one of the other people. And at the same time, we needed the money. It was quite early on that we thought, you know, might as well do it. And, um, and we'll probably owe that guy. And that's fine. And that's what we did. And I think the result was that something we we're going to charge something like six and a half thousand pounds plus some licensing. So it would have been maybe seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half thousand pounds, something like that. Yeah. Ended up being 13, 13 thousand pounds. And when I asked why, he just said all the others quoted above 13. Um, and it has to do with what kind of industry they're in and what kind of company they are. And they were, you know, then the money they were making per year was millions and millions. We're talking the about. This and, is what and, I meant earlier when I said people taint the money side of it with what they think, right? So if I'm earning, I don't know, let's just put a, a, a lowish figure on it, right? Let's say I earn 15,000 pounds a year now and I'm just coming out of just coming out of university and I'm starting out in the industry and 15,000 pounds a year is like, that seems amazing to me because I've just been a student. Now, when you come out into the big wide world and suddenly you have this thing and there's like this one gig could be 13 grand, like that feels like a huge number. But yeah. actually the reality is because you're talking to some giant company, I don't know, maybe it's like Hilton hotels or something and they own all these properties and like you're not touching their balance sheet. What mm -hmm. you perceive your expectation because of your reality feels like a lot of money actually in the grand scheme of things isn't right. Exactly. Depending on who you're speaking to. And it was interesting because he, he, our contact was laughing. He was like, you guys are mad. It's nothing. It doesn't even touch the side. Right. Right. You know, they, they were in oil. You're having a shit fit over like four grand. And yeah. And they were like, we don't care. Nothing. <laughs> and they, and they loved the result and everything was great. But for us, and Paul will tell you, it was really difficult because we felt like imposters. We didn't value our work in the same way. Yeah. Um, and, and listen, they, they loved it and they did the work. Um, they used the work on their website and everybody was very happy. And we had really great feedback and really good relationship with them for years. But one day they stopped calling. And what we suspect happened is that they met someone else who could do it for much cheaper and did just as good a job. And so what I'm trying to demonstrate here is that what I've got out of this myself, me personally, Roman, is that I, I, I will never, I swore to myself, I will never do this again. That if they come to me and they say 13 grand, when I was going to do eight grand or six grand, then I want to give them added value for those six grand. Otherwise I won't, I won't uh, accept it because I'm a much more value right, client right. that comes back every year, even for the one off job. Um, than the one who does it. And this is why it's so visual. We okay. have close to 95% retention when it comes to, we don't have a lot of clients, but every single client we work with, we tend to they work with again. And the reason for it is because neither me or Paul are salespeople. And it's very hard for us to go and sell ourselves. Right. It's much easier with existing clients. And so it's it's not because I'm, I'm, I want to be a good person and a, an honest person, although it's part of it. But it's also because I want to look after myself and my um, the work you. I've put together. I, I want to protect this this little. Um, so this for the same bubble. money, you're going above and beyond what other people might. Exactly, and so I I've got a very comfortable um, way of of talking about money with clients now. Where I'll say to them, "Look, can you tell me what kind of money you want to spend?" Some will say yes, some will say no, and I will show them. That's where I got to. I will show them the actual proposal 
for a project similar right. in price, similar in style that they've asked and how we got to that. So say, for example, they say, I saw your head on shoot on your website. Love it. I want to do exactly the same. And they'll say, but we have 500 pounds budget. I'll say to them, okay, well, this is what head on cost. Yeah. Show them a, a screenshot of the actual invoice cost. Not, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. the invoice, but what was agreed in, in the, in the yeah, yeah. But contract, because the invoice is always adjusted to reality. The quote is on what we think is likely going to happen. And then the reality oh, yeah. is very different. But um, I show them that. And then I show them what I have offered and what I've done for something kind of similar, as long right. as I have it, for 500 pounds. And so it starts the conversation in a completely different manner. And, and I've already, I've, I kind of forced them into trusting me because you couldn't go any further than, than, than yeah. an ideal you're, to you're, be you're saying You're saying this is what 500 pounds looks like. Yeah. And it's fine if you think it's not worth it. You can go and see someone else and, you know, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, as they say. That's fine. Yeah. Go and find your monkey and, and do that. Maybe I'm not your monkey. You know, it's all good. And and so what happens is then when they say, yeah, sure, this is how much money we have. That's great. And I try to pack as much as I can within within that price. And I will say, this is what I would normally do. And if you wanted to get more, this is where I would cut, cut corners, although I would advise not to. Right. Um, but in the same way, they said, oh, we have no idea whatsoever. And if what we need is 10 grand and we don't have 10 grand and we have to wait three months, then that's what we'll do. And that works equally as well. I'll say to them, okay, well, I'll pull up the kind of work that is on the website for which I have access to the, to the contract. Uh, I use something called Proposify, which is brilliant. Proposify.biz, if people want to check it out. Uh, you basically make your proposals and then you save a template. And then you have a template for, I've got a template for corporate shoots. I've have got you got like for, a, like a referral code or something? I'll put it in the no, show notes. No, um, I, I probably could and I'll, I'll have a look and have a dig and, around. I'm going to put I, referral. I probably could. If, um, if there is something that you've got, I'll, I'll pop that in the show notes. Yeah, but they, they're the best I've found and I've tried a whole bunch of them. Um, and what you can do, you can have like little snippets or uh, full pages or full sections of things that you, you, whatever you create a new proposal, you say, here's my intro. Then I'm going to have a blank page where I'm going to put what I offer. Then I'm, I'm going to have this section that explains what the process is, which is standard that I'm going to reuse on every single video proposal, or whatnot, and so on and so forth, all the way to budget and the way you, you price it and the kind of the notes I mentioned earlier about how to get dressed for a shoot and all that sort of thing. And so I'll pull the, I'll pull those out onto the screen while I'm on the phone with them. And I'll say, okay, so you see on my portfolio, when you go into the portrait, the fourth picture down, that was part of a shoot that we did for X, Y, and Z. This is how much it cost. And this is how long it took. Whereas number 12 in the list was done more like this. It cost oh, more like yeah. that. And it's like a brochure almost. Yeah. And so what happens is you, you basically say to people, that's your choice. You want to cut corners? You can cut corners. You want to make the most? You can make the most. You want to get the top end? You can spend top dollars. You don't want to spend top dollar? You can cut corners. And this is how I'm going to be above and beyond your expectations, whatever the case may right. be. They know what they're going to get. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you one more. When they don't use us, which is absolutely fine, I say to them, everything we've discussed, you can take with you to the next person who's going to do it for you. I don't mind. Because then what happens is even if everything goes well, when they compare their experience with them and their experience with us, I secretly hope they think the only reason why I didn't go with the guys at Soda is because I couldn't afford them. The you know? client, and, yeah, the client and, and I hope that so I can. Important. And so I, my, in, in other words, what I was saying, my techniques are for these things is to kind of be really transparent, really upfront, very often for in, in this 
British bubble, it's quite refreshing because British people can be a little bit, you know, a bit shy and not really want to, to, to divulge too much and to share too much and kind of be really polite and not let go, you know, not show too much emotions or things like that. And and I'm literally like a little little devil who comes in and goes, hey guys, that's what it is. And hope you like it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's refreshing for me. It's refreshing for them. And a conversation we have today might lead to a job two years down the line and not the job we originally talked about. And that's absolutely fine. At the end of the day, we are, you, me, and all creatives in the service industry. We might sell pictures as, as a tangible you know, thing that yeah. is, is an exchange for money, but what they're paying for is not the picture, but what led you to the ability, to the skills, to, the, to, to you know, this experience that led you to take those pictures and deliver those pictures in that way. Um, and in, in many ways, it's a collaboration. And that's why that, that management of expectations, it, it happens on all aspects of your exchange with your client or with your subject or with the people you work with. If you're a nice guy that expects you to be nice, if you're you know, always late that expects you to be late, um, if you tend to be overpriced, they will expect you to be overpriced when I ask you how much you cost. And so you kind of set the tone on all aspects of what you do. And, and we go back to one of the first things you've said uh, at the top of the hour, which is being true to yourself in so many ways is the solution to those problems. You know, it, it's, it's almost like the, the argument against lying. Yeah. Why should you not lie? You know, people will come up with a whole bunch of um, morals and things that are telling, telling people why it's bad to lie. I, I don't have any of that, even though, of course, it's part of it. My only main, like, central reason for not lying is it's so much simpler. Yeah. You know, at least I don't have to remember what I said when I lied and one lied to you, one lied to somebody else. I guess if I had gone, you know, over the years, been really good at lying, maybe I would be a liar. I think the other problem is, lie. is, is as, a, as a creative, you're a small business, right? And as a small business, the, the reviews, the testimonials from your previous clients, they're hugely important and yeah. you can't afford to tarnish your own name. Like you're not yeah. a big enough brand to be able to do that. So the easiest way to do that is to, is to be honest. Yeah. And if people know what they're going to get, and sometimes you can surpass those expectations, but you never want to under deliver. And the only way of doing that is, is, you know, by doing all the things we've, we've been talking about. Let and me ask I'm, you a quick question. Quick question. Cool. I know you're about to finish and to close, close up. Um, so, what is the best compliment you've ever had from a, from a client or from someone you've worked with on a shoot um, after the fact? I, I guess this is probably a slightly skewed because a lot of the stuff that I'm doing and being paid for right now is, is weddings and emotions run so high and it's so important to people. But I get some amazing compliments, um, you know, people crying and going through the work and telling me how much it means to them and suddenly the value of, of the work I've given them becomes more than they'd ever realized. So I don't know, maybe they're paying me at the moment, like 1200 pounds for a full day. Mm -hmm. but actually, once you give them those photos, those photos become more important to them than, than the 1200 pounds. Right. So mm -hmm. if you were to say, would you rather me take your car or your photo album? You know, they'll, you know, they, they'd keep the photo album. Suddenly that becomes worth more than, yeah, than the sum totally. of its parts. The, the reason why I ask you is because often what people will, will say, if you ask photographers, creatives, generally speaking, the first things that come out often is, oh, they said that the work was amazing or, you know, that the experience was amazing. And then as you start digging, you realize that the best compliment they can ever give you is that they liked you. 
They liked you. They got on with you. They felt comfortable with you. They trusted you. Yeah, yeah. And you delivered, right? In other words, you 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 did not miss those expectations by such a long mile that you know they feel disappointed. And and so it comes it comes down to that. The, the shoot I've done this week, the best compliment the guy could ever give me, he gave it to me, and that was brilliant. Um, he said something like, you made everyone feel really comfortable. It was a really smooth experience. You delivered exactly what you said you were going to deliver. And on the day when we threw a curveball telling you that actually we needed some more lifestyle shots to cover placeholders on the website because we hadn't planned for it. So our mistake, you fixed. And of course, it cost them a little bit more money. Of course, there's all this aspect and it's not always feasible. But what they were saying is, exactly what they were hoping for is what I did. Right, right. And obviously with this specific uh, type of photography, I've done so much of it. I can do it eyes closed and this is something... You don't you know, crumble under the pressure, right? For me specifically, that was a really easy one. Daniel, who's worked with us a lot, Daniel Lipinski, amazing photographer, used to be really shy, really, really shy. And you've seen him on the head-on shoot. I mean, he was shining, was awesome. he was shooting and, and funny and on it and silent when he felt that he needed to step away and, and loud and joking when, when he needed to get something out of people. Um, and just a, a terrific guy overall would have struggled on something like that a few years ago. You know, he's been with us six years and maybe two, three years ago, he would have really struggled on that. And then one day he had the one shoot. I was there, but I was on the other side of the building and he was doing those portraits on his own and someone threw a curveball. Uh, with glasses that were so curved that there was no way he could put the light and hide the reflection. And I wasn't there to help and he had to figure it out on his own. And what he did was to manage the expectations on the day. And he did such a good job that even though he didn't fix the, the glasses problem as well as he wanted to, the feedback of the client was that although they were a bit annoyed that it took a few minutes to figure out a solution, they were so happy with the result because the person who was wearing those glasses was saying that they never had a good picture of them. So then what, what you realize is that everyone has their own strength. I think and it takes some serious talent to even spot that there's a problem in the midst of normally you would get home and you'd be like, shit. Exactly. You, you don't, you don't and, spot it right away. And so you see, you see where, where sometimes there's a misconception on, on the client's part is where they think their money goes. You know, they think their money goes on the latest maybe gear and that's what's going to make it amazing. But that will never take away no, no, no. that reflection. It's the photographer the on, the, on the day with the experience will, will pick up on that and, and fix that. Yeah, and yeah. so what I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, the best compliment I ever got from anyone ever when it comes to the work, the creative work that I do was that either I, I went over expectations or that I made them particularly comfortable that it could be completely transparent with me as to what they like and don't like and want and don't want out of it. Um, or that they said that it felt more like a collaborative process rather than, you know, me dishing out pictures in exchange for money. Yeah. Um, and, and the combination of those things is basically, you know, what we've been talking about today, a mix between expectations and reality. Where do we meet in the middle? Where is it satisfying for everyone, both in terms of money and time spent and effort and, and delivery date and and whatever aspect you can think of. And I think we have a tendency. And, and the reason why we had this conversation, you mean Paul, in the first place is because my my feeling was that what what we were doing on that day was so amazing and yet so different 
from what we we thought we were going to do in the first place. You know, we thought we were going to stack a bunch of motorcycle related product to do a really nice and interesting uh, sort of a still life image. And now we are shooting groups of up to six people dressed on a theme with flowers coming out of their helmets um, and, and, and things all over the place. So it's, I, I found it really interesting to see that even with different expectations and, and, and a result that maybe might not be as close as you thought it was, the process being a positive, inclusive, you know, organic process and being honest about who we are, all of yeah, us, yeah. Um, the people behind the brand, the people who are the models, the people behind our team, you included, um, the other Daniel, Paul, everyone who was involved, the stylist, uh, Cyril, the, the florist is absolutely amazing. All of these people bringing their own truth to the table and then, um, and then the whole of it becoming something of its own. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's a really great place to, to end the episode. But I, I think there's been so many little nuggets of wisdom in there that I feel like people probably need to listen to this a couple of times with a pad and a pen just to try and get out some of the stuff that we've, that we've just put in there. That was really cool. Well, I, I, had a, I had a brilliant time. I, I, I love this. I know, I know. You're like the, the producer of the podcast at this point. You should be, getting, <laughs> <laughs> you should be on, the, on, the, on the show notes every week, just getting credits. Well, every Saturday morning, I make a, I make a tea. I play with my daughter and I put the, uh, the podcast in the background and I chuckle to myself. So being part of it is, uh, is, is, is brilliant. Like, thank you. What do you think when you listen back to your own like, I know you've had the one episode so far. Did you listen to that? How did you find it? Yeah, I, I listened to it. And I, the, the thing I actually look up for the most is whether I feel I made myself understood because I think speaking another language and sometimes it's not like I'm trying to be poetic or anything, I mean, we've, but I'm, we've I'm been going to for like be... two hours now. And like, I, obviously I'm listening to the way you're speaking because I'm thinking of the edit and you speak in fully formed prose, so you are super easy to edit. I, know, <laughs> I, I don't I, know. If, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. Um, I, I, I think so. I mean, you can I, take it from me, man. I, thank I, you. I've, I've I, edited I will, you. I will take the compliment. I'm telling you, that's exactly how it comes across. I will take the compliment. I, it's a conscious effort for sure to try to be clear and eloquent if you can. Bless you. It's not even the first language, right? No, no, yeah, for sure. I, infinitely impressed i'm telling you um okay well, i think we've got just enough time to do some very very quick shout outs um and then we'll, we'll be able to get along with our day so my, my shout out today is rachel walker she is mm -hmm. an artist who specializes in sort of watercolors and spray paints and inks and all that kind of thing um, she, she paints a lot of animals I'll put a link to her website in the show notes. Um, we've actually got a couple of prints of me and Tanya in the house uh, of Rachel's and they're just so cool. Like they're yeah, really, I'm looking really at them nice. now. It's gorgeous. You, you're looking at the... Um, I've, I've just searched on Google Rachel Walker animals, to be honest. Yeah, and... yeah. so it, the, the website's Walker Illo. So Walker, exactly how you'd expect. And I, I can see enough. Com. Oh yeah, I can see. Walker Illo, I double L O dot com. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. It's beautiful. There's something really amazing about the, the, the use of color. Yeah, they're really nice, and, aren't they? And they, there's something about the like... way the outline is really dark and thin and clean black ink. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. They, they sort of remind me of like, a, they're not exactly the same, but Khan Griffiths. Khan Griffiths is, um, so back on uh, Tanya's episode when she was on episode mm -hmm. eight, I mm -hmm. think, um, 
yeah, she, her shout out was Khan Griffiths and um, Tanya actually knows Khan Griffiths and his, his works, there's like a similar vibe, but I don't know, it's kind of different. Khan's work is like a, a bit more, I don't know, like raw, I guess, but his work's really amazing as well. We've got multiple pieces from both those guys up in our house. So I see this work every day and it's probably about I, I think I would have picked up that this is looking at her website now. I think I would have picked up that it's a woman artist because there's such sensibility and, and it's, it's so refined. It's really I lovely. I hadn't even considered that. And obviously Khan's does look a little bit more masculine. Maybe that's. There's, there's something about the way the, 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 the watercolor is dripping as well. There's a lot of dripping all over the place, but it feels very, um, you know, purposeful. It's, it's beautiful. It's nice. Absolutely it's nice. beautiful. Yeah. How Never about you, before. Uh, for me, this, uh, this time I'm, I'm going for a friend. Um, I've got a friend called Danny Ladois, who is um, a beatboxer and an artist. And I haven't spoken to him in years. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he'll ever hear this shout out, but he's, absolutely amazing a beatboxer and he's amazing with kids um and he started something called the school of beatbox um the address is the school of beatbox.com you know it's, it's www.schoolofbeatbox.com uh, in what word um and what he offers is basically uh, you know both for like companies when they wanted to get together for people to um what, what are they called these um I see I'm losing my uh, my English. What 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 do they call it when you you get a team sort of bonding experience? Oh, okay, and, yeah, like an experience, like yeah, a corporate so, day out thing. Yeah, so he'll he'll do that kind of stuff, uh, but he'll also do events, he'll do um he'll do one-to-ones and group classes for children. Uh, and he teaches people to beatbox. And he is I I, I don't even need to manage your expectations. He's just amazing. He was uh, I can't tell you what year, but he was in the finals of the UK Beatbox Championship. Um, so, so came second, essentially. Could have won it, but ended up second. Um, his little cousin or nephew is also doing quite well with it. And there's a whole bunch of very viral videos of him on YouTube if you um, are bothered enough to go and have a look. Amazing. But um, yeah, I just thought it's a very different approach to creativity. He's teaching something that you probably can't learn easily. Um, and he's just, his personality is, is everything. Um, so I, I advise you guys to check it, check him out. Danny Ladua, the school of beatbox.com, school of beatbox.com. Nice. And obviously we'll, we'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Roman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank um, you, Dan. And anybody that's not already following Roman on, on social media, again, I'll, I'll leave some, uh, I'll leave some links in the, in the show notes for that. And just, just reach out to Roman and say hi. Cause please do, please do. I apologize in advance. I'm not a big social media person. I don't share a lot. Um, but people who get in touch with me, which they can through any of those platforms or through the website, I respond to every single one of them religiously. So, um, people are welcome to get in touch or if they have questions or anything or, or just want to connect, I'm always happy to. You're a rock star, Roman. You're a rock star. The boss. Thank you so much for today, Dan. <laughs> and I hope we get to do that again. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Okay. Same time next week. Cheers. Bye.